Hello, and welcome to an inaugural episode of No Good Deeds, an investigative legal podcast with Elizabeth Boyle and John Stewart. My name is Elizabeth Boyle. I'm John Stewart. John Stewart is my client and my friend and my co-host on this show. And I'm Elizabeth Boyle, and I'm a lawyer, and I've been practicing law for 36 years. And John is a Marine, <laughs> a Marine who never says you're, you never say you're a former Marine, do you? Correct. That's right. Once a Marine, always a Marine. Okay. And John has, as a layperson, had an extraordinary experience with the justice system. And that is, in fact, the inspiration for this podcast, because once I got involved in John Stewart's case, I found that there were so many issues aligning in his experiences with the justice system that are currently of concern to people of goodwill that we should investigate what is going on and what his experiences have been. John, do you remember when we first talked to each other? Yes, I do. Okay. It was um, roughly 76 days after I was originally arrested, and you had called me in regards to the state doing a TPR for me against my daughter, Allison Elizabeth Stewart. And where were you when you received that call for me? I was in currently, at that time, I was in um, Manatee County, Port Manatee County Jail. And why were you in Port Manatee County Jail? Basically, Manatee County Sheriff's Office did a botched investigation into the death of my girlfriend's child, and they accused me of a crime that I did not commit. And had you gone to trial? Why were they keeping you in jail? They basically were keeping me in jail awaiting trial. Uh, they posted my bond at $500,000, uh, originally, it was supposed to be 300000 but then at my first appearance, Detective Luke and Julie Binkley, the state attorney, went and lied four times and told the judge things like I had no ties to the community, even though I was just arrested the previous day at a visit with my daughter. That would be a major tie to the community. Then they said that um, I had more ties to New York. I've only been to New York. I originally was born in New York, but I've only been to New York since 2003 five times, and three of those were for funerals. I do not like New York. So they said that I was a threat to go to New York. And then they um, then they also said that I could afford a higher bond because I owned my own house in Manatee County. Which Did is you own your own house in Manatee County? <laughs> negative. I even told the judge that and the judge asked the detective, well, did you do did you investigate that? And he had not. And based on no new real information, just on the word of the detective alone, the judge said, well, I'm going to raise this bond from 300,000, which was unconstitutionally high in the first place to 500,000. Well, hold up. $300,000. Did you have enough money to post a $300,000 bail? I at the time I had just gotten my master's degree. I had not procured a job yet. I was um living off of savings and I just finished going to the full season for the Rays uh with my daughter every game for that season. So no, I was not in any place to afford a $300,000 Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, John. John, <laughs> you'd never been convicted of any crime. Correct. I don't understand. Why was the bond set so high? Well, apparently they say that when uh, somebody is murdered, especially a child, that it's egregious and it must be the people who are 
um, being held accountable uh, are flight risks. So they think that if you're released on your own recognizance, even though you've never been charged with anything before, that you'll just take off and disappear. Even though I don't have a passport, didn't have right. a passport at the time, yeah. offered to turn in a passport even right. if I did have one. Right. <laughs> like Yeah, I also noticed in the record that you had an extremely low rating by the pretrial services agency for a uh, for flight risk. Yeah, yeah extremely I, low. I rating. believe I scored a 2. And right. like I think like in order to be considered a flight risk, you need to have over you need to have double digits. <laughs> and right. I scored a 2. So there was no reason whatsoever to have my bond at 30,000 let alone 300,000. Right. Well, let's just jump ahead to November <coughs> of 2018. What happened to the case in November oh, of 2018? State Attorney Julie Binkley filed uh, nolo, nolo prosecute, I believe it's it's pronounced, um, nol pros, basically, and dropping the case, saying in her statement that she had new evidence, which was nonsensical because she had the same evidence from when I was arrested. There's no new evidence whatsoever in this case. But she said that based on new evidence uh, that I could not have done it, and, or that she couldn't prove that I did it, even though the evidence showed that clearly I did not do it and that somebody else was completely at fault. Did the, uh, was there anything wrong? What, what do you think went wrong in this prosecution? The detective was inexperienced. It was his first major case. He did not know what he was doing. And pre pretty much around that time, Manatee County Child Protective Investigation Division had been under a lot of scrutiny because of cases where there was one girl who was in a freezer for a year and they basically dropped the ball on that. There's been numerous cases where they dropped the ball. So they were under a lot of pressure to get this solved. And rather than do a proper investigation, you know, and look at all the facts, go into, you know, background of people and figure out who might have done this. They chose not to. Um, one of the one of the witnesses lied numerous times, and it turns out that he was probably the likely culprit, and the evidence shows that. And well, he confessed. That yeah. was the grandfather. He ended yes. up confessing. He confessed to them about nine days, nine days after he had lied to them for a couple of weeks. He lied to the people at the hospital when the baby was taken up there, and then he lied to the police. And then there's he's on videotape going in to recant and to confess that when the child had been in his care, the child, he said, fallen off the bed. Apparently, Detective Luke didn't like me from the get-go, and I don't know why. He was the main detective? Correct. And he basically turned the blinders on, and as soon as he saw me, you know, I think roughly 80% of the time when a child is injured in a situation where there's a new um, step-parent, mm -hmm the step-parents, the one 80% of the time who's done it. Right, right. So, you know, I can understand starting off 80% of the time. You know, you look at Nick, the new guy. I get it. But once you see all these glaring inconsistencies and all these things that are wrong with what was with what was being said, all the information that was being gathered, and Larry, the grandfather, lying over and over and over again, rather than take that seriously... Even when you look at the interview, when Larry came in to to change his story, confess, and do do all that, they literally 
rather than jump on him and press him and be like, well, why did you lie? You know, like any good detective would. Right. And you, you know, you watch detective shows all the time. And as soon as somebody lies, they jump on him. They pound on him. And they're like, why are you lying? Why is this going on? Blah, blah, blah. Like, Not well, only that, but he, they put the kids with him. Oh, yes. They well, put all the young kids. And they're still with him. Girlfriends. Yeah. yeah. And he was around the child approximately when the child was injured. Yes. He, he lied to the police and to the hospital about what had happened. Yes. And then nine days later, he came in and he confessed that the yep. child had fallen off the bed. Mm-hmm. Which, but instead of taking that information where it would naturally lead you to, the detective decided... To double down on to me. To double down on you. Correct. And right. even even in the, in that interview, rather than than jump on him and question him about stuff, inconsistencies and everything like that, he's he turns it around back to me. He's like, "Well, what do you think, Mr. Stewart was? You know?" And like, Detective Luke was very anti me. <laughs> and you, you well, can... you you approach a situation when this happened. You actually gave the baby CPR and got it breathing again after Larry brought his lifeless body to you. Correct. After this event, and you weren't in the you weren't in that part of the house. Whenever whatever happened, yeah, Larry, I was on the other baby. side of the house. No, exa- no one knows. Larry said the baby fell out. Of the Correct. But even the, even the detectives, over and over and over again, all the medical witnesses, all the medical experts, all agree that this could not have happened from a child falling out of a bed. There had to have been some other mechanism that contributed to it. Um, so basically, with that evidence, the and this is what Julie Binkley said was new evidence. Was who is that? Who's Julie Binkley? State Attorney Julie Binkley. She's Up the one who Madison prosecuted. County. Yeah, she's the one who was prosecuting me. And she even said that... Uh, I forget. I'm sorry. Oh, I just lost track. Okay. <laughs> We're gonna, okay. we, we can it'll, edit, it'll so come. that's, that's oh, good. Oh, yeah, it'll come back. <laughs> also, Leslie, so we'll just stay in this 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 parade of horrors for a few more minutes <laughs> because we're going to gradually introduce our, our listeners to this whole ordeal that you were put through by the justice system um, because of negligence uh, false statements and uh, you know people who are stuck on stupid is what they say in the street I think <laughs> no matter what information was supplied to them I had a question did the detectives the Manatee County Sheriff's detectives did they ever do any investigation or any uh, any interviewing of the hospital personnel the baby was taken to two hospitals after this incident for care first started out at what at the manatee memorial manatee memorial and then was bay flighted or was driven yeah, over driven to all children's to all children's in st pete did they ever interview the staff of those hospitals to see if there was anything that happened to the child while they were providing care to the child and trying to revive the child that may have caused any of the injuries any 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 injuries to the baby any all of the discovery that i got there was nothing like that they um there was when Larry originally came back after going to the hospital with Nolan, he told me that the doctors told him that it might be meningitis or it might be some sort of infection that was going on with his brain, and that would explain the swelling that was going on. And the detectives never looked into that. Was and the baby sick before this incident correct, happened? Correct. The baby was teething, had four teeth coming in, um, was going through flu-like symptoms. We had all been basically, because the kids were going to school, so... CJ had been bringing back, you know, 
different things. Allison was going to, you know, daycare and, and school and stuff like that when she was with her mother. And so all of us were getting sick. He had the flu, teething, and yeah. <laughs> I see you have a t-shirt on. It's Weedon Island, Clam Bayou, Boyd Hill, Fort DeSoto. Hashtag keep St. Pete wild. What does that shirt t-shirt mean? Um, basically, these are four areas that are in the middle of a city that are pure Florida nature um, habitats. Weedon Island. Uh, How do you spell that? W-E-E-D-O-N. And where is that located? That is located in um, basically the northeast of St. Petersburg on the on the P Pinellas Peninsula. Uh, if you go down 4th Street to 81st Avenue North uh, and make a right there, uh, it, you, it, there'll be big brown signs that say Weedon Island, and you can go into the Cultural Center. They have archaeological excavations going on there. The first ever archaeological excavation that ever took place in St. Pete, Florida, took place at this, at this uh, site. Um, I was able to do some excavations at USF while I was at USF getting my uh, bachelor's and graduate degree. And um, it has numerous walking trails. It's uh, preserved, so everything is safe. There's nobody can go hunting or trapping or anything there. So it's all beautiful, fresh wildlife. They do minimum cutting, you know, just to keep the trails up. That's it. Um, then Clam Bayou is on the south side of St. Pete, and that's a little area that you can go fishing. It's a There's a shell mound in mid there that you can walk up and stand on top of and get a good view of the area. Um, and it's just a nice little place to walk and right. just. And how often have you gone there over the last few years? Weedon Island and all these four places. The most I've been to is Fort DeSoto. Um, mm -hmm. I take my daughter there to go swimming. Um, I'm, cause I'm a disabled veteran. I get free parking at Fort DeSoto. So we go there quite often. And, and they... so what is this, uh, your military service? When did you go? How old were you when you went into the military? I was 17 when I joined and turned 18 in boot camp. And then um, I served from 96 to 2000. Okay. Okay, John, I want to find out a little bit more about you. I want to hear about the young John P. Stewart. <laughs> so tell me, where did you grow up? I originally grew up in New York, um, all around Lake Carmel, Poughkeepsie, Brewster, those areas. Um, Ended up going to school at St. James the Apostle Catholic School from fifth grade to eighth grade, and then um, John F. Kennedy in Somers for my freshman year. Is John F. Kennedy public school? Negative. That's also a Catholic school. Oh, really? Correct. It's not named after a saint, or he's not a saint yet, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, to Catholics, he very much is. That's so, funny. Um, he was the first Catholic, Catholic president. I've never heard of a Catholic school named after a lay person, so to speak. Yeah. And it's a large school which uh is there an order of nuns or priests that that runs that school or jesuits or anything like that or do you that know? i honestly do not know i know that we had nuns there and that there was a priest and we had you did know, they wear every, habits? every friday no, the no. Nun, no at, they were lay <laughs> at, at um at saint james the grade school they wore habits and everything like that and the priests and everything but at high school it was just uh we had uh mass on friday and um you can go if you wanted to. It wasn't mandatory either. You can, um, you had to do something else, like do a report or something. Did they have non-Catholics going to school there, non-Catholic yes. students? So that's yep. what they did to, mm -hmm. you know, uh, accommodate, I guess. Correct. The, um, is that school still functioning? Yes, it is. Both of them are. 
And where is that school, John? Somers, New York. Some Somers, S-O-M-E-R-S, New York. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you went to high school? For freshman year. And then um, my mother, things happened and we had to move to Connecticut. And uh, I finished my high school at Henry Abbott Tech Regional Vocational High School. And I took carpentry. And where were you in Connecticut? Danbury. I didn't know you could do carpentry. Oh, yes. You can do that too. Yeah, I did it for years. That's my uncle is a master carpenter. I worked with him. And then while I was going to high school, after I got out of the Marine Corps and moved back to New York in 2002, I did a year of carpentry with him before I moved here to Florida. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. The um, What kind of carpentry did you do? Do you build out everything. people's kitchens, everything. cabinets, everything? From start to finish oh. and everything in between. So if you need, uh, you know, your kitchen remodeled, we did it. If you needed a house built from start to finish, we did it. So how old were you when you graduated from high school? 17. And what did you do? Join, joined the Marine Corps. You went right into the Marines? Yes. Were, they let you come in and you're only 17? Is that uh, My mother had to sign the paperwork. Oh, to give permission? Yeah. Because if you're under 18, you have Correct. to get parental permission? Yeah. Did she hesitate at all? No. No. <laughs> Everybody in my family had been Marines. Her, oh, I didn't you know, know my, that. My grandfather was a Marine. My uncle, two great uncles. You know, a bunch of people are jarred. Do you heads. have their pictures and history on them at all? I do. I and do. is that Stuart or which name? Um, no, is that, that my my grandfather would have been Ross, uh, John Ross. Uh, he served in the Marines uh, during the Korean War. Um, my uncle Scott Ross served in the Marines from '78 to two. Was he to the carpenter? Correct. He's the carpenter. And what yep. what's his name? Scott. Did Scott you? Ross. Scott. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then um and then my great uncle served in Vietnam. And they were, I believe they were both drafted, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. They were both drafted. They did two years, served over there. One died, and then the other one um, moved to Arizona and was a sheriff until he passed away a couple years ago. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. You have law enforcement in the family, too. Where yes, was he a sheriff? Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. And then he also taught, um, he also went to Croatia and taught the police there. Um, as a exchange program, basically. Wow. So he he was sort of young when he died. Is that right? No, no, no. He was a Vietnam veteran. Oh, Vietnam. Yeah. No. So he was he was oh. in his seventies. Well, no, that's still sixties, seventies. Well, <laughs> you'll, you'll find I'm, I'm out 40. in a few years. I'm forty one. I just turned forty one. <laughs> I'll check so, back with you, you know. in twenty years and see what your view is on that. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Okay. Okay, so that's interesting. So you were, at what age were you when you decided you were going to go into the Marines? Oh, uh, that was. I was a child. Really? Oh, yeah. I knew I was going to be a Marine from the get-go. And so you kind of, you sped through high school. It sounds like you got out a little early. No, 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 no. no. Um, just, I was, happened to be born in September. So right. when I started school in New York, I, they, they let me start, you know, early, whereas most other school districts would have made me wait. I started when I was four going uh -huh. on five, whereas most would have made me wait till five going on six. So, right. but because I started at that time. I just went through normal. And did you, what did you, what was your, what Votech did you, uh, did you focus on? Carpentry. Carpentry. Yep, it was yep, the same yep. thing. That, that, that was it. And uh, that was an influence from that, your uncle? Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's because I was working with him since I was 14. And what years were you in the Marines? Uh, 96 to 2000. Okay. And, and what was your rank when you came out? Uh, corporal E4. Okay. Non-commissioned officer. 
And then after you got out of the Marines, you had had an injury or two, right? Um, yeah, when I was in the Marine Corps, um, a piece of my equipment exploded in my face and uh, a 7,500 PSI spring lodged into my skull right over my eyebrow. I lost consciousness, um, woke up from it. They said, went to the hospital, said, oh, you're fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, just have some Motrin and okay. put on some new right. socks. You'll be good. Typical military. Um, and then uh, I was in a helicopter crash and then multiple car crashes. While, oh, wow. Well, one car crash while I was in the Marine Corps and then multiple since then. Right. But right. yeah, I have my lumbar, two or three vertebrae are bulging, herniated, cervical, same thing. And my right rotator cuff is torn from my time in the Marines. Oh, have you had anything done to it? Or I was supposed to have surgery. Uh, They told me that I needed surgery when my daughter was six months old. And then they told me that I would be without my arm full use for like six months or limited use for six months. And then it wouldn't be full use until a year, if it even came back to full use. And you need your arm so you could carry your baby. I have a daughter. I have to carry her around. (laughs) I'm I'm not (laughs) doing that. Were you involved as, are you a very involved father? Oh, very much so. My daughter is my life. Um, yeah. So how did you, how did you get involved with, uh, Nolan's family? Well, originally, um, I graduated from USF with my master's degree and a friend of mine who I had gone to school with her sister. What'd you get your master's in? Uh, Florida studies. Uh, Florida studies. Yeah. So is that an environmental or anthropological, anthropological or what, what? Whatever way you want to put it, honestly, yeah. it could, it could, it could be focused on environment. It could be focused on indigenous populations. It could be focused on archaeological excavations, mm-hmm. you know, anything that you want, anything that, as long as it's business, anything that has to do with Florida, you can have your thesis, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's a wonderful program because you can focus on whatever you truly want to. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I did, um, my whole thing was uh, on the Hillsborough River, and I worked with Terry Tomlin. He was the outdoor editor for the St. Pete Ta- Times, which is now the Tampa Bay Times. But he passed away, actually, while I was incarcerated. It was a sad thing. Um, him and I were scheduled to write a book together. We were about to... A whole book series, actually. And then I was arrested. And then about six months into... While I was waiting for my um, bond reduction hearings and everything like that, he, my friend Dan Joyle, who graduated with me, him and I had taken Terry's classes. He came and informed me that Terry had passed away. Mm-hmm. Oh, he came and visited you at Port Manatee Jail? Yeah. Dan did? Yeah. And actually, he was there when you were released, wasn't he? Wasn't Dan there when you were released, finally? Um. Dan, no, he was. Um, who was there? Who went there that day? When a- you Andrew Smith was the one who picked me up the day that I was in, released in August. That yep. time in August. Yeah. So that is a. Tell me a little bit more. Tell us a little bit more about that experience. You were Detective Luke. You you came in voluntarily to speak to him about any questions he had about Nolan. Correct. Uh, into the Manatee Sheriff's Office on January 13th, 2016. And, and, thank you. And he, um, he accused you of being guilty of the crime. And you said you were not, right? Correct. Okay. And this is all on videotape. Yes, right? this is all videotaped. Um, the first interview that we did was outside of Larry's house um, in at the back of the police car we just stood there and he audio recorded it 
the second interview we did was actually at the CPID office, and that was that night. Um, the first night, everything happened, and no one was taken to the hospital. So we went to CPID that night and did interviews, Danica and I both. And then, and that was in December. It was like correct. December 11th was correct. when the baby was taken to the hospital. Yes. December 11th, yep. 2016. No, so 15, 2015. Correct, 2015. And then... Well, no, 2014 is when he was taken to the hospital. No, 2015, 2015 was when I was arrested. Really? Mm-hmm. I have to check those numbers. Right. I know. I think it was in... Because the case number is a 16. The case number was... Oh, you're January right. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, right. I moved down to Manatee in 2000 and... Um, the year before, 14. Almost a year before. Yep. 2014. Right. And then 2015 is when Nolan was taken to the hospital. And then 2016, January 13th right. is when I was arrested. Right. Sorry. I had... So I transposed the deal is you met there. Danica. You met Danica in 2014? Yes. And then, um, and she had how many children at that time? Four. Okay. And did you think that was a good thing or bad thing? Um, well, I mean, did you, is that, do you, it gave me pause, you know, I paused, I was a little bit concerned, you know, initially mm -hmm. when we first started talking and everything mm -hmm. like that, but she was truthful and honest with me. She told right. me everything about her history. Well, my question is, do you like on. children? Oh yeah, I love children. Yeah. I thought it was great. I was like, right. sweet, I'm gonna have an instant family if this right. all works out. Like, and this then is gonna be did, what you, I mean, like, what were what were they like when you first met them? What was your impression? Oh, you had a six year old. Rambunctious. Right. Um, full of energy, hyper, um, good kids, but just, right. they, they lacked, um, I guess, parents that paid attention to him. Right. And, you know. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean, what, what, what well, was up? They always needed attention. Right. Um, they always, you know, um, like, Lyric and Anthony, the, the two middle kids, were, you know, still on the bottle, still in diapers, and they're, you know, like, Lyric was going on four. My daughter is the same exact age as her. It was, you know, two weeks Two weeks younger than her, actually. Your daughter's like already running a, a Fortune 500 company. And she's seven. <laughs> I'm teasing. No, no. She's, I, so she's very, she's got very good executive. You function. know, and it, it's not like I try to compare my daughter against, you know, against, right. against Lyric or anything like that. But it's like, you know, I was like, she's a little bit behind. The other kids are a little bit behind. Anthony, he, um, he was monosyllabic when I met him. He would point to things and like clap his hand together and be like, mine point mine and you know it's like can you say can i please have that and by the time did you, you know, work with him on oh that? always yeah. always I what about with did you kids. do anything with cj I mean, oh, was man. there anything special about cj cj he's um, a six-year-old two weeks before he was supposed to start school i go to him you know hey cj sing me the alphabet song and he can only get to the letter j and i'm like oh man we only have two weeks to school so i sat him down every day for an hour and we went over it and by the time he started school he was able to do the complete alphabet and count from one to twenty and um, I enrolled him in uh, T-ball because when I met him originally, he was 100 pounds, six years old. And it's not like he was like overly tall and that's where the weight was. He was he was obese, you know, and it was clear. Basically, the grandfather would just let him sit at his computer and play video games all day. And he'd be like, hey, can I have Dr. Pepper? Can I have, you know, Coke? Can I have, you know, some gummy bears? And, you know, and they would <laughs> unhealthy right. in every way, shape and form. So I was like, so I, 
every day I practiced t-ball with him. I got him out running. I got all What's the kids out running. What's t-ball? Baseball. Yeah. It's, the, it's the beginning stages of baseball. So instead of pitching the ball to the kid, they have it set up on a tee so he can swing at it without fear of, you know, the pitch hitting him or anything like oh, that. okay. And that's the first year of, of baseball. You start, everybody starts out at t-ball, then they move up to the coaches pitch to excuse me, the coaches pitch to them. And then, um, and then after that, the next is the kids pitch to each other and they play the full game on after that. So did you ever do anything with the kids? You ever take them to Whedon Island or museums? Or anything oh yeah. Like I took, that? took them to numerous museums, took them to Whedon Island. Take took them all them... The, out together. It's the four oh, yeah. of them plus Allison. Yeah. You and, take your daughter. yeah. And we would, we would all go out to those places. I took them to numerous baseball games, um, to the Tampa Bay Rays at the time I had full season, season tickets. So I had every game and then I would also get free extra tickets because I was a veteran. So you get two free tickets for at that Did time. Did you describe yourself as a fan of the Rays? Um, not yet. <laughs> no? <laughs> but, but I I am a huge, I'm a baseball fan. You do fan. cheer for them, right? I'm, I'm a huge baseball <laughs> cheer fan. Cheer them on. And right. I happen to be in Tampa Bay, St. Petersburg, and so I root for the team that I'm around. Right. I grew up a Yankees fan. I was a diehard Yankees fan for years of my life. I have a Yankees tattoo, mm -hmm. but they tore the house, they tore down the house that Ruth built destroying countless, countless historical, just it, so many historical things happened in that place. And not just baseball. Mm -hmm. Pope visited there three times. Some of the greatest rock and roll concerts oh, ever took place. Oh, this is the stadium. Yeah, the Yankee Stadium. Oh, this, Babe Ruth Yeah, built. the, oh, the house it. that Ruth built okay, is what Yankee go. Stadium was called. And this was back in 1923 <laughs> okay. when it was originally built. And then they won right. the World Series that first year. Oh, and the Pope and, was there three times. Yeah, and the Pope oh, visited oh, okay. the old Yankee Stadium three times. The reason that people like football nowadays is because of the game that was played there. And that was in 1959, the greatest game ever uh, against the New York Giants and the Colts. And mm -hmm. it was it was tied zero zero the one in a, in overtime with a field goal and that is basically the reason that people like football now is because of that game it was broadcast uh -huh. on TV and that changed mm -hmm. the dynamics it went from everybody being baseball to kind of going towards football which we're in a country that likes football more than baseball now right. and that's where it all started at. and they just tore it down. Do you think that points at a bigger problem <laughs> this baseball football thing? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Have you thought about that? Um. The way that the the way that our country views things, the way uh, as, as a whole, um, I think it is a I think it is a big problem. We're more fast paced. We need to have things done right now, right now, right now, and that's why football is so appealing to people. Seven seconds. That's how long the average play lasts. So it's seven seconds of action. And then you sit there and you go, oh, did you see that to your buddy? And then you go back, oh, seven seconds of action. And then, oh, did you see that? And, you know, it keeps people with, you know, ADHD, which most Americans have nowadays, no, no doubt about it. It keeps them drawn to that. Whereas baseball, it's a long drawn out. You need to think about things. You need to, you know, understand why this p position, why this player is here, why they're pitching to him this way. You know, there's so many different dynamics that go on with it. It's a very slow paced game compared to football. So our country, it's, you know, we've become a lot more fast paced. Right. So it's understandable that basketball, football, and even hockey are overtaking baseball now. Right. So right. I think it's time for a commercial break <laughs> <laughs> and a water break. Okay, we'll take a little water break here. <laughs> 